Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church, or Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. This week we're wrapping up our series that we've been calling Legacy. And we kicked it off on Easter talking about how Jesus left a legacy. This legacy of defeating death and the news that we can too. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. A connection with Jesus gets us into eternity, which then leaves Jesus on earth today, someone with a legacy that is yet to be forgotten 2,000 some years later. And it will be remembered by Christians even into eternity, right? Unfortunately, today, the legacy that we, as in you and me, leave on earth will last for probably a decade or two at the most, right? But we can leave a legacy in heaven that can be eternal because we can leave a legacy in other people's lives here today by being one who helps get them closer to Jesus, to help get them into eternity. Right now, we can do things and use certain things. It's not something we can force onto others, but we can attempt to use the things we have available to us. So far in the series, we talked about using influence to get someone closer to Jesus. We saw how we all influence others because because we're all interacting with the others. We talked about the things we can do to grow our influence, to get the most potential out of it, which is by being authentic, being relational, uh, by influencing those who influence, and then prioritizing. We want to grow our influence to ultimately guide people we interact with towards Jesus. So today, this is kind of your reminder if you are here that week, no matter who you are or what you've done, you can have influence. No matter how much you have right now or how much you had at one point, influence isn't static, so be sure it's growing for God. Last week then, we talked about how we can use our time, our time to get someone closer to Jesus. We have limited time here on earth, right? And the people around us have limited time here. But when we prioritize using the time we have to get others to God, we can leave a legacy. We said it's important, important first to just take time to see each day as a gift and give time to God starting with us. And then from there to have the best impact with our time, be present in other people's lives and putting yourself out there before it's too late. Meaning not beating around the bush but starting faith-oriented conversations. We all have some time. Today's topic is an interesting one because unlike time, we can acquire more of it. And although using it does not guarantee results, we can use it to help others experience God or get closer to God. But our relationship with this thing is usually bad. Statistics say 77% of us are anxious about this topic. And it's not something we love talking about or giving up for a legacy, especially for others. Yet what's really interesting is statistics also say the more people have or the more we acquire of this thing, the less likely we are to use it for others. People with less of this give almost double of what people do with more. 4.95% versus 2.95%. Any guesses on this? I'm assuming some of you are maybe picking up on it a little bit. If not, I'm doing a good job at being vague right now. 
Because where it starts to get interesting is surveys have found that people who are more generous with this thing tend to have better, it shows, better bodies, better minds, and better relationships when people are generous with this thing. And it doesn't stop there. There's articles after articles of things like that, that like you get greater satisfaction with life, more friends, stronger relationships with people they know, happier with their careers, a more positive outlook, better physical and mental health. By giving away this one thing. If you haven't picked up on it yet, we're talking about money today. We can help leave an eternal legacy with how we use our money. Where our dollars go can help. They can help uh, run organizations that teach about Jesus. They can help provide resources for someone to grow in their relationship with God. They can do mission work in Jesus' name. They can fund coordinators in, in the attempts to reach more people. They can fund relief for humanistic needs, which ultimately our hope is that people would consider Jesus then afterwards. When this happens, our money contributes to leaving a lasting legacy that in eternity we can look back on and be remembered for what we impacted with our funds. So with all this said, along with statistics that it brings us greater health and it brings us greater like mental ability and all those things, and if we're generous with it, all these great things can happen for us. If an alien was to fly in on earth and hear about all of this concept of money, they would be like, what's the big deal? What's the holdup? Why doesn't everyone do this? Or why isn't everyone generous with money? And I would respond on behalf of myself and my own relationship with money. Because a relationship with money is hard. It's got its grips and it's tight on a lot of us. I've used this illustration before on Sunday, so sorry if you've seen it before. But it honestly, this video describes me as in my personal tension with money. Check it out. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat, it can buy me a truck to pull it, it can buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets, yeah, and I know what they say, money can't buy everything, well maybe so. Can buy me a boat. Can you relate? I'll take a boat, I'll take a truck, I'll take a Yeti 110, I'll take the silver bullets, even, right? I can go for all those things. And money provides it, right? It creates fun and opportunity and relaxation and fulfills desires. Money for me is so hard to be generous with or depart from because of what I know it gets me personally. I would love to not worry about future bills. I would love to have an unlimited Starbucks fund. I love Starbucks. I would love an Amazon budget where I didn't feel guilty about buying unnecessary things, right? I would love a yacht or a plane, which is never on the table for me, but realistically, I would love a new truck. I would. I would love new clothes or a relaxing retirement. You might not like hearing this from a pastor, but I have a lot of the same desires for these things that so many others do. Like, I want to be this guy. I want to be on a boat. I want to be like singing about it too. I'm on a boat. I want to be on a boat. A guy like that. In a tux. That sounds awesome. <laughs> now, having money or having some of these things isn't bad. But the reason I don't want to be generous or to let some go 
or use it for an eternal legacy is again this stinking rope. This rope, I don't know if you've been here, we've talked about this rope and shown it kind of each week, but if this rope was to represent my entire life, right, my, my life here on earth and then it goes on into eternity, which is forever, right? It's representing my entire life. It goes forever. Well, I'm so fixated on this part, my, my life here on earth. I'm so fixated on the fun, the vacations, the, the house, the stuff, the, the future retirement here, but never the future retirement here, right? I'm so fixated on this that I don't really think about this. A few weeks ago, we asked the question, What's most important for you to accomplish in life? And to me, it's to make sure I'm in eternity. Like, and I'm in eternity, and I also bring others along with me. Which, if that's of any importance to you, it becomes a real conversation to think about and discuss. If what's important for me to do here on earth is to make sure I'm in eternity, that my loved ones are, and that the people around me also are exposed to this type of message, it makes me question and wonder, Am I using my funds to help make that happen? Matthew 6, 21, it says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If I'm honest, it doesn't come natural for me to put my treasure where at least I think my heart is or where I want my heart to be because I want my heart to be for people. I do. I want my heart to be for my family members, my neighbors, my coworkers, my community to know God. But where I hold my treasure doesn't always reflect that. Many times it's on me and my desires. So I know I needed, early on in my faith especially, and, and still do to this day, I know I need times of heart change when it comes to money. How about you? Is your treasure where your heart is? Is your heart stuck on something else? Even though deep down inside you want it to be on others. For you, is it maybe on riches or fame or success or having the nicest? Is it on appearance or relaxation or luxury or happiness? Is it family or fun or experiences or to just get by? Or is it to be in a spot where you don't want to think about money? Again, none of these things are inherently wrong per se. But if you think eternity is important to you and the people around you, are you able to use the tool of money to leave a legacy for others? I always try to be as real with you on stage as possible. So you might not like hearing this from a pastor. But I don't know about you, but I want to give. I want to give, but I don't give as fully as I think I should. I want to be generous because I know it does leave an impact. Even selfishly, I know some of the facts. Like we write about it. Like I want good relationships and a healthy body and good mind. I want those things. It seems like it would even feel cool to be like the big-time donor, right? The big-time giver at like some event or whatever. That, feels, that would be awesome. I, I want that. And honestly, I personally do think giving money does do good. I do believe it makes a difference. I believe money does help others hear about God because it funds a lot of God's work and ministry. Growing up, I thought Christian nonprofits and organizations and churches or places that are trying to reach people for the good news of Jesus or, or do the work of God, I thought they got their money from like the, the bank of God, right? You just pull from the bank of God. Like God speaks, oh, you need more? Is 10K good? I'll send it. You fill out a withdrawal slip, you put it in the offering bin, right? And boom, it's in the church account. I realized early on in my church planning months, that's not how it works. Kidding, I knew before then. <laughs> but for real, ministries, Christian organizations such as churches and shelters and rehabilitation homes and mission organizations, they operate not from some stipend from God or a money tree or whatever it might be, 
but from the money given by individuals being obedient to God and wanting to leave an eternal legacy for others. With all this said, I know this. I know these things, and I do want to leave an eternal legacy for others, but I still don't give as much as I want to or feel my wife and I should. I mean, this is me, but what about you? Do you feel you want to give to places or organizations that are doing the work of God, that are helping leave a legacy of getting others into eternity, but you just don't do as much as you want to or, or feel you should? Again, this is me, but if this is you too, let's look to the Bible for a bit here and ask, what do we do about this? Honestly, God gives some very clear instruction about money along with some warnings. There are a lot of pastors who say that Jesus talked about money more than any other topic in the Bible. This is kind of a debatable statement. I, I would err on the side that it's not true, but Jesus did talk about money more than, more than a lot of things. About 15% of his teaching was on money. I don't know about you, but that seems like a lot to me. Just FYI, if you're visiting this church for the first time and are maybe like all butt clenched right now, like you're angry about the topic of money being like brought up today, just know I probably speak about money maybe once or twice a year, way less than Jesus did. Way less than Jesus did. But Jesus talked about money so much because it's something we all deal with. And he knows how strong of a hold it has on us. Like did you know 70% of couples argue about money? 58% feel finances control their lives. 52% of people have difficulty controlling their money-related worries. There literally is a new show on Netflix, uh, a place for entertainment. Like, Netflix is entertainment, and there's shows about money. Here's the latest one. Uh, it shows the common struggles of money. Check it out. I'm Ramit Sethi. I'm a New York Times bestselling author, and I teach people how to live their rich life. You can't get a rich life without taking control of your money. You have a checking account for your dog and not a retirement account. You don't need to call me out like that, even though that's why you're here. I'll have six weeks to help people fix their financial problems. We're going to talk about credit card debt, buying a house, retirement, and even multi-level marketing schemes. And together, we'll uncover money secrets. You went from 100K, now it's worth about 20,000. You never told me. You didn't know that till just now? When it comes to money, people are desperate to hear the truth. There's so much out there these days, kind of like this video. There's tons of things just like this. Because statistically speaking, we are all pretty much horrible with money. Yet we hate talking about it. We hate it. It's the elephant in the room or in your relationship that's stealing your comfort because you don't address it. And instead of kicking it out or managing it properly, we just are miserable about it. Or realistically, probably for the group that's here today, it's not the elephant in the room. It's the dog on the bed situation. There's a dog on your bed and you're not getting enough sleep and there's not enough space for you to sleep comfortably. So like money, you got to Control it and kick the dog off the bed. You control what you want or what you sleep in. I get that sounds, or that, that's harder than it actually sounds. But we don't like talking about money, even though it's such a big part of life. Even though we aren't controlling it well. Even though there are solutions. Well, Jesus didn't stray away from difficulty. So it's no wonder Jesus teaches about this often. There's one story in particular that sticks out to me, and it's, it sticks out because it's a man who I can relate with well. 
He's someone who respects Jesus. And it starts with him saying, good teacher. And a question. It says this. I think it's Mark 10. Yep, verse 17 is where we're picking up. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he obviously respects Jesus. He's kneeling down. This is me as well because I personally do think Jesus is good. He's wise. He has helped me a ton in my life, and I've chosen to follow him and his ways. But I think the real question that this person is asking Jesus is, he wants to know, am I on the right track, Jesus? Am I on the right track? Like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, am I doing it? Am I doing what I should? Like, have you ever wondered that with God before? Are you doing it? Are you on the right track? Am I living the ways you want? Am I holding the right commandments? Am I on track? Well, Jesus says, to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. The man, I'm sure, is, you know, kind of giddy about it. Like, he's excited because he's done these. He's done all of them. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And this is where the mood of the story starts to change. How I picture it is Jesus' size. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. This is important to know. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I'm picturing the man going from to still. At that man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Like he literally left left the scene from that interaction. He chose not to be a disciple of Jesus, one of the 12, not following someone who he sees as a great teacher, who he bowed down to, of the person he respected, of God in flesh. It says, Jesus looked around and and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Now, after hearing this, this passage, if you've been in the church world before and seen pastors teach on this, you've probably heard something like this. Like, it's important not to acquire stuff, give up your possessions to follow Jesus, uh, and do that today, or something of that sort. And I think these are important responses and potential responses to the story that we should contend with. But that's not what I want to say here, nor what I think Jesus is implying completely. You see, first and foremost, Jesus is showing them, the people around the rich, the poor, the good, the bad, no one can keep the law fully and earn their way to eternal life. It is only through God's help, which is Jesus on the cross, a perfect sacrifice for our mistakes. But secondly, you see this man was probably, in today's context, like a good church-going type of person. He's keeping up with the Christian or the religious things, probably loved God, yet to this man, It was about him and about his works, his works and his efforts. And Jesus notices this, and he's trying to slow him down and show him his effort is not what gets him into eternal life. He tells the man, you know what? I can obviously tell that, like, you have a passion for God, but I can tell that you also have a passion for money. And you're expecting that that, that if you, like, just do all the right things, you'll get to heaven. So go. Go and sell it all and then come back. Like something impossible-ish to do, where this man is going to need Jesus' guidance to do, actually. Jesus can see all this going on. The thing he can point out with the man where his effort and works 
aren't in it, and it, it will be impossible for him to earn his salvation on his own because he, he knows that this man can't give it all up. He knows that. Because this man obviously loves money more than God. So much so that instead of talking about it, he just leaves. When Jesus says how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, he's not saying it because we all need to like sell everything and have nothing to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, this isn't a, it's not a consistent teaching throughout the Bible. But Jesus does teach this man, and most importantly, the others watching, because he knows the love of money gets its hooks. The love of money holds us back from fully devoting to God, from giving our heart to God. The love of money arrests us, and it makes us choose it over God. And we see this exact situation is what happens with this man. Today, Jesus isn't asking you to give it all up and and follow him around on the streets with nothing. But he does ask you, do you love him more than money? Is your heart more devoted to him than money? Do you love money more than God? 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This man loved Jesus, and I'm sure he wasn't a bad person per se, but he obviously wandered from true faith of following the Messiah in flesh. He loved money more than God physically in front of him. And that's the problem with money. Money isn't bad. If we look at that verse again, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Money can be great. The joy can, joy can come from money. It can be good, like acquiring wealth and doing fun things and having nice things. That can all be good. What it says, though, is for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Do you find yourself desiring this tangible, immediate gratification currency more than you do God? Ugh. I know I do. I'm not trying to come across as like this righty-tighty, uber-spiritual pastor who's got it all figured out. But even being a pastor, this is hard. Even knowing like when I give up money, it leaves a legacy, it's still hard for me to do. Even knowing I can take, or even knowing that I can't take anything with me to eternity, not using it on my family right now is still hard. Even knowing all this, I still struggle and get caught loving it and chasing it more than God sometimes. So what can we do? What can we do to loosen money's hooks so that we can put God first and ultimately leave a legacy for God? Because that's what we're really talking about in this series and today. And I mean, we saw in the beginning, not only does loosening of these grips allow us to leave a legacy and give, but there are so many other health benefits and mental benefits that we can gain from being generous with money. How can we start to experience them? Well, the first is, Stop keeping money in the dark and believing its lies. Proverbs eleven fourteen: Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Have you ever heard someone tell you about something they bought, and you're like, what were you thinking? Who's been there? All right. Good honesty. I like it. There's people who buy dumb stuff all the time, myself included. Uh, maybe, maybe like the, the dumb thing that you, you bought is, a giant bread pillow. I don't know. I need it. Maybe it's this. Chip fingers. Maybe you just need to stop eating Cheetos. I don't know. One of those two. Ostrich pillow? I don't know, but uh, you're sleeping at work? Maybe, th- maybe that's a problem. 
Or this one, like, it's meant to, if you have to go to the bathroom on the golf course, you just pee into the club instead of going to anywhere else. Right? You bought that? So these are obviously a bit dumb. That's just my opinion. Sorry if you actually bought one of those things. But we all know someone who's bought dumb stuff. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all bought dumb stuff, right? There's at least one person in the relationship that does it more than others. In my relationship with my wife, it's me. (laughs) It's me. I'll come up with these ideas and Sydney will be like, why? Why? Like, it was ripsticks. Like, we, we, need, we need ripsticks. It's fun. It's just like, let's be youthful again. Or it was, we have these uh, in-text pool, the pop-up ones, and I'm like, we need a pool light. She's like, we don't swim at night, but I want to look at it. I want to see it. Or this one, uh, we need a little ladder for our dog so they can come up on the bed. You know where I stand on that debate now, don't you? And she's like, no, we don't need that. Or, or I'll say like, hey, we should get this thing. It costs like 50 bucks. 50 bucks? Is what, how she responds, 50 bucks? That's insane. We can make it ourselves, is usually what she comes back with. And many times, I'm so caught up in the moment that when she says why, it's like it snaps me out of it. It snaps me out of it. The trance of money, the, the trance of buying dumb things. But it shouldn't stop there. Your wise counsel And make sure they are wise, right? Like two dumbs do not make a right financially. Your wise counsel should help you call out the lies. When you realize that you don't need that club. There's porta potties on the course. You don't need that pillow. You don't need whatever. To be happy, you're able to stop seeing the lies of money, specifically the lie that you need it. Even some of the not weird or out of ordinary spending of things, coffee, like bottled refreshments, new clothes, that, that massage, that new furniture, that updated car or fancy meal or fancy like dinner that you're going to make at home even. Stop believing the lie that you need it in order to be happy. That's the core to why we have money problems is we believe the lie that we need certain things and we need more money to get these things so then, then we can really start living and be happier. The bigger house, the better car, the more extravagant vacation, the nicer backyard, like the more frivolous spending that we could have. Maybe it's even a little extra money after you pay the bills is what you're pursuing. When we believe the lie that we need more money for those things, because those things are what we need to be truly happy, we will never be happy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So bring your money situation to the light. The man in our story, right, he didn't bring it to the light, nor did he have wise counsel with him to help him see that his wealth is not even close to being one who walks with Jesus on earth, right? Who could that wise counsel be for you to guide you in making decisions like that? Maybe for the first time, you need to just start talking about finances and spending with your spouse. I get that that's scary, and maybe you're, maybe you're not ready for that, but start with someone you trust. A friend, a family member, maybe, maybe an advisor, so they can help you manage and not get sucked into the lies. There's a popular Christian author, Jenny Allen. She wrote this book called Finding Your People. And in it, she states that their life group or Bible study of like 10 or so people, they've gotten so real and they've developed this trust with each other that the members of the group, they bring up like the big purchases that they're planning on making to gain wisdom and counsel with their group. This is a bit extreme for me currently, 
But I would love to get there because imagine that council. If someone's like, you guys, I don't know if that's best for you guys. I don't think that's right. Like, we'll ultimately make the decision, but the council could be amazing. Who is that for you that can help you get that clear view of money and spending and help you see whether you're caught by its lies or not seeing things clearly? The second thing we can do is put God in his rightful place. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God cannot be seen as this co-equal with money. Otherwise, we will get pulled from our faith, like that young, rich ruler did in the story. We will say no to God. We will walk away from God. So how do you put God in his rightful place? It's by giving to him. It's giving to him. God wants to be first. So what he's required from us is a tithe. Like a tithe means 10%. And he wants 10% of our money, the first 10%. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with and plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Are you doing that? It's hard, but the giving, the act of giving, releasing of money first to God is what allows us to get away from money's hooks. There's an animal in nature that does the same thing with food that I think we do with money. Uh, it's with a monkey. Sorry, I don't mean like compare you to like a monkey or anything like that, but there's, there's a monkey trap that hunters use, and what they do is they put food in this hole, and the monkey will slip its hand in to try and get some of that food out, to pull it out, but when it grabs the food, its fist is full, and it's unable to pull it out of the hole. What's interesting, though, is not only in this specific area is he unable to, but he's then able to be trapped because he just stays there tugging. Here's a little video of it, and you can see what I mean. A well-known trap used by hunters to catch monkeys. What they do is they take a coconut. They cut a hole inside the coconut, empty it out. They make the hole just big enough so that the open hand of the monkey can fit in the hole, but the fist cannot. They put some kind of bait like fruit inside the coconut to lure the monkey in. They tie the coconut to a tree and then they wait. What they found is that monkeys are greedy. The monkey sticks his little hand inside the coconut to try to pull the fruit out, but can't get it out. And when the hunter approaches, they try even harder to try to pull the fruit out, but they can't do it. And then the monkey gets captured. All that monkey had to do was open his hand, let go of the fruit, and it would have been free. But his greed blinds him. His attachment to the prize is so strong that he sacrifices his life for it. Tch, silly monkeys, right? Maybe not. What is your coconut? When we release some, not all, just some, we can be free. That's one of the biggest reasons why I think God has instructed us to give to him. He wants us to let go of the thing that could overtake us. What's interesting is not only that, specifically in this area, this is an area where God says, test me. Test me in this. Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God is saying, test me by giving to me, and I will bless you. I want to clarify, this is not the prosperity gospel. We do not believe that here. We do not believe that if you give, you will get rich. We do not believe that. Or give and everything works out wonderfully for you. That is not what we are saying right now. That's not what God is saying, nor I. But, the, but this is the one time in the Bible 
where God says it's okay to test him. It's okay to test him, as in be obedient and expect to see God move. Watch your obedience do good. That good could be happiness. It could be a financial blessing. It could be a mended relationship. It could be just peace or, or calmness for you. But God knows the hooks of money is so tight for us. So God says, put me first with it and watch me bless you in some amazing way. So put God first. Put God in his rightful place and give because when you do, you're free from the hooks of money. You've released greed. And then, then what happens is you can then finally get ourselves to support organizations that help others get into eternity, which is our last step. Decide where and what you are going to give. If some of our finances are, are something that God desires and we want to leave a legacy to help others experience eternity, really process where you see that happening well. Decide where you want to give and what you want to give to that place. Don't give out of compulsion. Like, don't feel like God's forcing you to give, like, in a particular mood or a particular place. And don't give or don't not give because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't really, I don't feel good in this moment. Don't, don't do that. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's saying, take your time. Decide. Because you are being obedient to God. Decide because you're excited about his mission. Decide because you want people to experience eternity and you think whatever place it is, is where you want to support God's kingdom. Where is that for you? Either way, decide where you want to give and what and then make it easy for yourself. As in, don't allow yourself to get cold feet or greed to creep in because it does. For my wife and I, we tie that church here by giving online, and it pulls from our bank account automatically because honestly, honestly, I don't think I could get myself to write a check every stinking time. I don't, I don't think I could because it's hard. It's hard. So decide where and what you're going to give. So as we're getting close to wrapping up, we talked a lot about giving and how we can get ourselves to give. But specifically, the whole reason we're talking about giving today is if we want to leave a legacy of seeing more people that we are around today in eternity, and one of the ways of doing that is by giving our money, we need to start doing it. Based on some of the research like, done by people way smarter than, than me, there are some statistics that say that if Christians like, within the world followed this and tithe, there would be an additional $165 billion, that's a B, of what's already given. They say 25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. 1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. Then there'd still be 100 billion left over for additional ministry. I mean, is that coincidence that God has prescribed? a solution and an amount we should give to solve some of the world's greatest issues? I don't know. I, don't, I, I really don't know. But what I do know is our money can help support missionaries, organizations, churches, and people to reach more people, to get more people in eternity. And you finding the possibility of others hearing about Jesus is something you can do that has an eternal impact for your friends, your family, your community. So what are you waiting for? Stop keeping money in the dark and believing its lies. Put God in his rightful place and decide where and what you're going to give to. And then do it. 
Go home, process, make a difference. Maybe for you it's not a tithe or 10% right away, but maybe it's 5 or 4%. Maybe for you it's just a weekly gift or a monthly gift of some sort to some organization. For you, maybe it's $5 or 50 or 200 Or maybe, maybe you want to dive in. Maybe you want to do the 10% and trust and be obedient to God and test him even. Test God to see if the floodgates will open in which blessings will be poured out to you and the potential overflow. The potential overflow is numerous people you love headed to eternity. I'm going to pray that we're no longer slaves to money, but we use it for good. We use it to grow God's kingdom. And if you want a tug or, to, or for God to just consistently tug you to do what he's maybe calling you to do right now, I'm going to pray that he continues that thought, continues that tug, so that we can actually act on it and make a difference. Would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us just some clarity on a really tough topic, a topic that none of us loves hearing about or talking about. But God, we just pray that you've given us solutions when it comes to finances so that we can no longer be slaves to it. We don't want to be slaves to money. So God, we just pray that you help us, help us act on whatever that tug is that you're prompting us to. If we want to leave an eternal legacy, we can use some of our funds to really make a difference. So God, I just pray that you make that clear of where and, and, and how much and whatever it is that we should do so that we can make a difference, an eternal difference that lasts a legacy. Help us do that well and help us do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.